chat true crime conspiracy theories paranormal stories folklore a little bit of this a little bit of that you know the drill we've been doing this for 53 episodes and almost a year so uh i'm alex and christy and this week we are back talking true crime back in louisiana Ooh, our fave our fave but before we dive in a little bit of housekeeping uh so we have our first patreon supporter <laughs> yeah so thank you so much tom for well a for supporting us for this long even not with patreon but mm-hmm. joining our patreon uh if you want to get a shout out like tom in a future episode please check us out on patreon uh there's also really really great other opportunities on patreon including bonus episodes you get stickers uh thank you card our undying love and affection <laughs> all kinds of really great stuff up there just lots of gratitude just lots of gratitude did you say your name yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. I don't know where I'm at right now. <laughs> I'm so nervous, and I, but also like excited to talk about this case today. Oh dear. Well, as you can see, I'm like holding a Stephen King novel in my hands. So <laughs> basically, it makes me nervous. I know. Uh, but yeah, before we dive into that, Christy, what's your need for a distraction? Uh, my need for distraction is a bit of both. Like I need one, I don't need one. Okay. One is again, as I'm having a good week. Oh. Like, this has been some good weeks. Nice. So last week was. I figured I was having a good week for, but um, this week is I got my new car. Yes, and it's gorgeous. So happy. I love it. And thankfully, my other car got fixed when someone hit me and it's all done and everything. So I'm just a happy person that I got my new car. Um, I do need a distraction, however, though, because I'll be driving that car lots to work now that I got a new job again. And I work a lot. Yes. Like the next 20 days. (laughs) I don't know how you do it. And still, I'm still young. That's how I'm able to do it. <laughs> and still laugh and like have morale because I work a nine to five Monday to Friday and I'm already done. At the crisp age of 27, I'm already <laughs> ready to retire. So I wish I could retire, but kind of puts that pinch in. Fair enough. And I don't, I think we mentioned last, so not uh, 52, but 51, you had mentioned about the car accident you had, mm-hmm. but it, we didn't really get into detail. Do you want to tell our listeners what happened? I was in a roundabout. Roundabout. And some person behind me. Did not do no yielding. Yeah. And she was in what? A Jeep? A Jeep. I have a, a very distaste for Jeeps. I Same, because I got a Jeep for my rental, and I fucking hated it. Yeah, that thing was monstrous. Yeah, it was a bus, and I was like, I fucking hate this thing. <laughs> I, I would never buy this vehicle. No. Ever. No. It was I what? Uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee? No, it was a Jeep Compass. Uh, oh. Yeah. It was massive, though. Yeah. Okay. I had to fill it up. You have to fill up your rentals when you return them. Yeah, of course. So, I only used a quarter. Oh no! It was forty dollars to fill for a quarter. I was like, in oh. this economy, I was like, how do I use this fucking engine? I was like, I can't afford this. No, absolutely not. No, uh, my need for distraction because now we're gonna focus on moi for you, a hot yes, minute seconds. Um, work sucks as always. Yeah. So there's that. It's just been a weird past like month and a bit. I've got like clients or well, just cl- like. Okay, so case in point. So I, as some of you may know, and I, I'll try and make this as short as possible. So as some of you may know, I drive over an hour to get to my office each day. Not eat, well, I, bef- before pre-COVID, that was five days a week, I would drive over an hour and a bit one way to get to work. Which is painstaking. Yeah. Which is painstaking. So now with COVID, I've been only going like maybe once every couple weeks, once a month, what have you. So last mm-hmm. Thursday, 
Uh, I went and I had two face-to-face appointments scheduled. I had like four or five phone telephone, like telephone appointments scheduled. Mm-hmm. I only, out of those appointments, I saw no one in person because they both canceled like last I think it's minute. Snap story sent me. Yeah, and I totally missed it, but I didn't say anything. So I'm happy to call it a story. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, totally missed it because one client's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go to work today." <laughs> That's cool. And then the other one, who I haven't even met in person yet because she keeps canceling on me, was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I have a migraine. I don't feel well." Which totally valid response if I hadn't heard it 60 million times. Mm-hmm. So I was just really excuse so much. Yeah, I was just really peeved. And with that being said, it's just hard because obviously as some of you may know at this point we are in a third lockdown in ontario yeah so there that's another need for a distraction because let's just say mr dougie ford is not my uh i'm not his biggest fan right now never i never was but uh and his egg sandwich is not a fan homeboy can go fuck himself (laughs) hot take anyways speaking of hot takes let's get to true crime hit me and i'm gonna say for this episode There is a gargantuan trigger warning uh, for rape, murder, assault of a teenager, some graphic details, as well as discussions about the death penalty. All right, so this week we are talking about the death of Faith Hathaway and the cases and crimes surrounding this tragic incident. So Mm. we're going to start off with Faith. So Faith Colleen Hathaway was born December 17th, 1961 in Orlando, Florida to Mother Elizabeth. I don't know her biological father because Elizabeth at some point would go on to marry Vernon Harvey, who would be Faith's stepdad. Uh, Faith also had a younger sister, Elizabeth, Uh, I think Elizabeth was like four years younger than her, not really for certain, but uh, regardless, the family would move from Florida to good old Louisiana. Good food. Good food, good times, great atmosphere. Great party. Five stars. Would give more (laughs) if I could. So, uh, but they specifically lived around Mandeville, Louisiana. Elizabeth described Faith as an animal lover, a horseback rider, and someone who didn't meet a stranger, which I took as she was really friendly and outgoing. Mm -hmm. After graduating high school in 1980, Faith was on her way to join the U.S. Army. Elizabeth reported in a PBS Frontline interview, which, yes, I'm going to be heavily referencing this entire episode because it was really good for information. That interview specifically? Pardon? That interview specifically? Specifically, yes. Uh, that on May 27, 1980, Faith had went to work and was planning on going out afterwards with friends to celebrate this huge milestone of graduating high school and taking the leap into a whole new chapter in her life. Faith was reported to go to the Lakefront Disco in Mandeville for said celebration. So, you know, hitting up a little disco to celebrate. It's kind of like a club. But they call it disco. Yeah, they call it disco. It was the 80s. Oh, okay. That's fair. So, like... That's what you did. That's what you listened to. Exactly. Uh, Faith was going off to the military the next day. Um, So, you know, she she stayed out late, but obviously realized that "Mm, it's probably a good time for me to call her in the wee hours of the morning. Get some sleep, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So, unfortunately, Faith would never be able to attend her induction into the Army. Oh. Faith was missing for eight days before her body was found by investigator Mike Verando outside of a popular spot called Frick, I think it's Frick's Cave. 
which is approximately 45 minutes north of Mandeville. And based on an interview that was posted on the PBS Frontline interview, Verando noted that some people were near the cave picnicking uh, and found Faith's purse along with other belongings the day she, like the day after she went missing. But it took a lot longer to find her because of the size of the area and like how deep it went. Mm. Yeah. So she didn't make it home from the no. disco at all? That's what no. I found. Okay. Yeah. So she was at the disco. She was like heading home. We'll find out later the exact details. Mm-hmm. But at this point, all we know is... She didn't make it home. She didn't make it home. Okay. Missing for eight days. Eight days later, they found her body. Did she live alone? No. Or she mother? Yeah, she was only a teenager. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Faith had been found naked with approximately 17 stab wounds. She showed signs of rape. Her throat had been cut, and her fingers were also reportedly cut off. Apparently, there was a note near Faith's body that read, You never find her. Um, But unfortunately, tests revealed no fingerprints, no fingerprint evidence on the note. That's overkill. Yeah. To say the least. Yeah. So in a direct quote from the PBS Frontline interview, investigator Veranda reported the following regarding finding face body. I've never seen anything like that, and I've been working violent crimes on both sides, defense and prosecution, for 20 years, and I've never seen anything like it. And I guess I was down here, well, down there, uh, about an hour by myself with her, and about 15 minutes after the shock, I started doing what a policeman's was supposed to do. I started making notes and description of what I saw and things like that. The tragedy utterly devastated the community, leaving a hurricane of emotions and uncertainties. In his own words again, uh, from the PBS Frontline interview, investigator Verando stated, this is the crime that caused everybody to start locking their doors. This is a very small country community. So similar to the case that you cover from our area. Yeah, like it's small enough that like everyone knows the details, knows the person, knows, it's just a everyone hard well yeah not only that but it's a community that left their doors open you know come yeah. on by like people still here still leave their doors unlocked oh yeah thousand percent. but do. yeah you shouldn't but that's it things happens. get stolen that's but. how things get stolen and people die but like it wasn't until this i think people really started considering that like this stuff goes down and they need to be a little more you can't trust your neighbor yeah so now we're going to move into um another tragedy that occurred nearby so 16 year old debbie morris and her then 20 year old boyfriend mark were sitting in mark's car drinking milkshakes on may 31st 1980 in madisonville between 11:30 and 11:45 p.m while the two were sitting in front of the water enjoying their evening a random truck pulled up beside them deb recalled in the pbs frontline interview that she had asked mark whether he knew who was who pulled up beside them kind of like do you know these people like do you recognize them this that and the other when all of a sudden two men came out of the truck with guns heading towards them I feel like I'm out. <laughs> Bye. Just start checking the milkshakes, just hoping to dear God. Start the car. Yeah, start the car now. So the men forced Debbie and Mark out of the car, allegedly reporting that the two men had told them not to say anything and that they wanted their money. The men had also allegedly told the couple that they had killed before and wouldn't hesitate if Debbie or Mark came to any, like, did any sudden movements or said anything. Yeah, I'd be, like, frozen in time. I'd be like, okay, take it all. I'm done. I'm yeah. just going to, like, sit here in a fetal position and cry. But this is where things get icky. Ickier. Mm. Even more icky. So the two men uh, apparently took the couple out of the area in their car. 
Um, they weren't there to mug them. Let's just get that straight. They lied. They read, lied right off the hop. So Debbie reported in the PBS Frontline interview that the two men went on to torture Mark uh, in a direct quote from the website article. And they stabbed his side and cut his throat, burned him with cigarettes, all and like tied him to a tree, and then they shot him in the back of the head. What the fuck? Yeah. So Mark's body would be left in Alabama, and a good plot twist, he would go on to apparently survive the incident. What? I know. Yeah. But that's good for like I don't know, the head trauma, the slit throat, but okay. Yeah. I know when I, because it was kind of confusing, and I'll, I'm just gonna hint, I'm gonna spill the tea now. Yes. This case was so hard to break down in the sense of there was so much information, but not mm. specific information, which we all know I need specific information. We need the deets. We need the we need the full details. We don't mm. we can't just go with little bits of pieces. Yeah, yes. this isn't you know a puzzle. Well, it's a puzzle, but it's a puzzle with missing pieces, and it's driving me insane. We want all five, all five thousand pieces. Exactly. I want to make that beautiful picture of a dog puppies everything because we're going to need it soon so debbie recalled in that same pbs frontline interview that at one point the two men seemed like they weren't really sure what they were going to do with her which i can imagine is frightening on top of the already traumatic experience already unfolding debbie would be held captive by these two men being physically emotionally and sexually abused from friday when they picked her up until Sunday morning, so all weekend long. Oh my god. Yeah. So they had taken her through Mississippi to Alabama. They also went to uh, Fricky's Cave. I'm gonna, I feel like I'm misspelled it in this section, but I think it's Frick's Cave. Uh, And at one point, the two men took her to another man's trailer. At this point in time, Debbie reportedly witnessed the three men using drugs. Not specifically sure which ones, but they were partying, so to speak. Mm Mm-hmm. Time and torture carried on, and Debbie had mentally prepared to try and escape when the two men had taken her to a cemetery outside of Madisonville. In a surprise twist, uh, apparently the two men let Debbie leave. She kind of, like, slowly walked away, like, I think facing towards him, like... Just backing up slowly. Yeah, and then, like, slowly, like, kind of turned around and started walking, and they actually left. Like, they, they passed her. They drove away. Yeah. What the fuck? I know. Do we take me to a cemetery? I'm like, this is where I die. There's probably already a grave buried, like built, like dug out for me. Yeah. This is where it ends. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just dig my own grave at this point. <laughs> so she started obviously, like as soon as she saw the car pass, she's like, fuck this shit. Probably started. Booked it. Yeah. Booked it into town. Previous to her leaving, uh, there was kind of like a stated threat to Debbie that if she told police, she'd be murdered. But in a very heroic way, prob- maybe thinking, you know, I'm not going to let this happen to someone else. Mm-hmm. She went to police, Good. which thank God. So when Debbie was giving her statement to deputies, she reportedly heard about what happened to Faith Hathaway. What stood out was the place where Faith was left, Frick's That's Cave, mm-hmm. as it was a location that Debbie reported being taken to and raped while there. There's a lot more detail of Debbie's experiences that I didn't really highlight. Like I didn't take as much of a deep dive. Mm-hmm. But not because it's not important, because obviously this is fucking hugely important to the case, but there's just so much else this case, and I want to make sure that we cover as much as we can without, yeah. you know, me losing my mind. Because, it, like it, like I said before, this was a really hard case to cover. Yeah, even this detail so far, like, this would be a lot of research and just hard to write and cover and get everything organized. Yeah. Uh, 
Also, on top of that, Debbie eventually released a book um, called Forgiving the Dead Man Walking, which I would highly recommend checking out, uh, as well as the interview she did with PBS for more details, which, trigger warning, some of it's probably going to be hard to read for people. So, we've discussed Faith, uh, we've discussed Debbie, and now to shine a light on the, on the two reported men that caused all this darkness. So, first, we're going to start off with Robert Lee Willie. Mm. We don't like a Willie here on no. this show. So, Willie was apparently born on January 2nd, 1958. Begrudgingly, he is a Capricorn, but I don't accept him as part of the Capricorn tribe. I'm just going to put that out on blast. He shunned. He shunned. So... Uh, he apparently had four brothers and his parents, Elizabeth and John, they were from Covington, Louisiana. On the Murderpedia website, they have an article by Christopher Buchanan with the title, Louisiana, A Murder, A Movie, and A Wink, because, spoiler alert, there's a movie. I will talk about it later. Great. Where Willie was described as the following in a direct quote. So Willie was well known to police in the St. Timothy, Tamani, I almost said St. Tammy, but St. Tamani Parish. He had a reputation for being a knife man, carrying with him almost proudly a string of arrests that began at the age of 14 with a shopping, a shoplifting charge and included burglary, assaulting a police officer, and breaking out of jail. Well, he's like the little daredevil. Yeah, a little bit of a... I, I, can hear the song Bad to the Bone playing in the background, but like not in a great light, you know what I mean? Uh, so in an article for the Claren Ledger, uh, Woodley ap- apparently reported that he started smoking pot when he was 13, and three years later, he had dropped out of high school. He eventually left home and began using heroin at this point as well. Oh, great, took it twice. Yeah. <laughs> Willie's dad, John Willie Jr., was reportedly convicted for second-degree murder in the 80s. Uh, he also served time for manslaughter, cattle theft. Cattle theft. He oh. stole a cow. Like father, like son? Like, what the fuck? I know. Uh, an aggravated battery. So just not... The best role model already. Well, no, and... I think, the, like, his dad's reputation kind of preceded mm-hmm. Willie, right? So, like... Must well carry on. Yeah. So, as he got older, Willie, a.k.a. Robert Lee Willie, uh, worked as a truck driver, a riverboat driver, and made income by also selling drugs and stealing, as one does. Hmm. You know, in this economy... I get what it. must do, I guess. Exactly. So in one article by the Gazette, Willie had allegedly beat and drowned a man before proceeding to steal $10,000 worth of marijuana, which we will get to later on, I promise. Fingers crossed. We will get to it. Uh, but now we're going to talk about the next person or kind of introduce the next person to the stage, which is Joseph Jesse Vaccaro. I couldn't find much on him other than he was from Pearl River, and I am going to assume he was around the same age as... Willie, mm-hmm. but once again, like I don't know his astrological sign. I don't How know. I don't know what his family was like. We don't know his favorite color. There's not a lot going on. Not that I really want to know, because other than he has bad choice in friends and bad choice in actions and things, hobbies he does apparently. Yeah, choices. Bad choices. Bad choices. So Vaccaro and Willie apparently met in jail, and once they were both out, they would essentially party for weeks on end, according to reports. So as discussed, we know what happened to Debbie from her account and other reports, but now I'm going to focus more into detail of what took place the night that Faith went missing and how these two come into play. So this is, again, trigger warning. Um, Lovely. Sorry. Welcome to Weird Distractions Podcast, where we make everyone utterly depressed. <laughs> I'm your host, Alex, and I'm sorry. Not sorry. 
<laughs> so at approximately 4.30 a.m. on the morning of May 28th, 1980, Willie and Vaccaro offered a ride home to Faith Hathaway from the Lakefront Theater. In the Claren Ledger article I had mentioned earlier, Willie reportedly claimed that the deadly bender that they were on, so they were they were partying a lot. I should mention that, yeah, they were partying a lot. They were probably out of it. Yeah. Um, so they were on this bender. They were robbing stores while they were drinking. And this was obviously before they kidnapped Debbie and her boyfriend, Mark. But this is when, on May 20th, they crossed paths with Faith. Probably not, Probably not. you know, the most sober of folks, but mm-hmm. uh, no excuse. Yes. So Faith had asked to be taken home, probably given the men her address, However, instead, they blindfolded her and took her to Frick's cave, where she would later be found. Mm. So, according to the court documents, once the three arrived at the location, Willie and Vaccaro proceeded to rape Hathaway before one of them stabbed her in the throat multiple times and the other holding her hands behind her. Willie and Vaccaro then left the scene and left Faith where she would later be found. On June 3rd, 1980, Willie and Vaccaro were arrested in Arkansas for something unrelated to Faith's murder. This is where things get, like, I didn't, I wasn't able to find definitive information as to, like, what their arrest in Arkansas was about. Okay. Um, if anyone does know, like, if you're from Louisiana, because we do have listeners in Louisiana, I forgot to tell you that. No. Nice. We finally hit that state, which, yes. Um, but if anyone knows, can you send us an email, like, if you know more or heard more? Because, yeah, I, I tried to look, but I couldn't find mm-hmm. Anything particular, um, but I don't know if they were arrested and the Arkansas police thought something was maybe up or if they thought there was some kind of relation to Faith's case. Like, I don't know. I don't know if something was said or I don't know if they just meant, like, I, I just don't know. We just okay. don't know. <laughs> the end. Of, the moral of the story is I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. <laughs> but regardless, the Arkansas police called investigator Verando from Louisiana to fly in and talk to the two, which was clutch. Yes. yes. Great we love move. cross work with police. police. We, love, should. we love collaboration and communication between police forces. Yeah. So according to the interview that he had with uh, PBS Frontline, investigator Verando reported that he was talking to Willie at first in Arkansas, of course, mostly about kind of like mundane things, like nothing of really essence, like nothing mm. really great, nothing really, you know, spectacular yeah. at the beginning. Um, you know, he kind of talked about like his background, got to know him a little bit eventually. And then I think at some point he kind of dropped the information about Faith Hathaway, kind of seeing like, oh, is he going to say something? Is he gonna, you know, does he have any connections to it? What are his thoughts on it? Mm. He was just doing, you know, police work. Yes. At some point, Willie acknowledged that he was base, like, that he basically had this kind of, like, bad boy reputation. So he's like, yeah, I'm kind of a big fucking deal. Like, I don't know if you know me. I'm a douche. I'm, I'm kind of a douchebag, but, like... <laughs> but that, okay, that's not actually what he said, so don't quote us on that. But that's that's our interpretation that's of vibe. This. That's our British paper. <laughs> That's our perspective. That's our perspective. <laughs> That's our perspective. It's been a rough day. Yes, it's yes. So Detective Rando kind of agreed, like, oh yeah, like you're such a bad boy, and like, oh, like you're on all these like newspapers for like all the shit you do, this, that, and the other. Kind of like stroking his ego a little bit, mm-hmm. just being like, oh yeah, like, like a big deal, and you're a piece of shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Willie then apparently said to Detective Rando, "Yeah, I'll tell you about it." In reference of Faith Hathaway. Okay. Yeah, I killed her. 
or I was with Joe when he killed her, I'll give you an interview. Just come out right with it. Yeah. I did it. No I big deal. It. So after being incarcerated for a couple of days, the two apparently confessed to the murder of Faith on June 10th. During their separate confessions, both men tried to blame the other for the rape and stabbing of Faith, which this is something that will continuously come up even in the trial. So they're both... Yeah, which sucks. Like, it's always like when you have a duel of sorts. It's always like, he said, he said. You're like, this is getting us nowhere. Yeah. It's kind of like, I'm going to point... It's kind of like that Spider-Man meme. I feel like I've referenced that meme so many times on this show. Yeah, it's just like, the, you. Yeah, it's like, we're going to point at each other, and you're actually guilty for it, but maybe I'm guilty for it, but we're both guilty for it. At the end of the day, they're both fucking guilty. They're, they're not in the greatest stance. Uh, Willie apparently told Verando that at one point, while Vaquero was stabbing Faith... He said, and this is a direct quote, this bitch won't die, this whore won't die, along with other graphic details of what took place. This is why there was so much overkill? Yeah. So in the trial, which we're going to get to, Faith's own mother would have to hear the reported last words of her daughter, which she Mm -hmm. shared in the PBS interview. Uh, The last words were, and this is a direct quote, please go away, leave me alone, let me die by myself. That's so heartbreaking. Right? Could I... Well, you've already been stabbed umpteen times. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, what was the actual definitive, like, cause of death, whether it was, like, a slur throat or the whatever, but it's like... <laughs> I, I couldn't imagine being a parent and having to hear... It's hear like that. the Christine Heron case, like... Yeah, like, having to hear him be like, she should have screamed. I'm like, that's disgusting. No. Yeah. It doesn't... Yeah. Yeah. This was really hard. Yeah. This may be, the, like, the... one Heartbreaker. Of, one of the hardest cases I've investigated. There's already like a lot of research details. Yeah. So um, as some of you may have guessed, unfortunately the story isn't even nearly over yet. Um, so we're going to now focus on the trial. It's probably a shit. Well, we'll get to it. Okay. You might it usually ha- is, I find. But. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, both Willie and Vaquero go to trial for the murder of Faith at the same time. So I'm going to be completely transparent and honest. I may gloss over a couple of things Mm -hmm. just for the sake of of mental capacity. Like, I'm not going to go into full detail, but like each court hearing. Mm -hmm. Not that I do. Well, not that you do. Not that we do. We give you the good gist of what is the most important details. Yeah. Like I said, if you want more information, definitely check out the PBS article because it had had a lot. Uh, But first and foremost, I do want to address the note that I had mentioned earlier. Remember the note that was left near Oh, yeah. You won't find her or something? Yeah. Apparently, Vaquero was ruled out as writing said note because he was illiterate. Oh. Sometimes it helps to be illiterate. Whatever. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss, you know? Yeah. Uh, according to the court appeal transcript I read, they mentioned, quote, Willie's counsel did not engage a handwriting expert because investigation indicated it would be futile. So I'm going to let you take that and digest it and come up with your own conclusions. It's ridiculous. So the trial begins, and let's just say Willie decides that this is his time to shine and be an absolute shithead and the worst, like the worst kind of person in, right now. Because he's in the writing? trial. Okay. Yeah. So during the trial, Willie would go on to explain how much he enjoyed raping Faith while her mother and stepfather were in the courtroom, along with other family members. Like, I think her daughter, like, I think her, sorry, not her daughter, her sister was in the courtroom as well. I don't know specifically, but, um, yeah, no, it's still not... Even, like, I get, like, some of when you have criminals in court and they say, like, Ted Bundy, like, to try to like, have their own heyday and be their own yeah. lawyer and live in it again. Yeah. Just to go into those details and make it seem like it's so gratifying for you, it's disgusting. I know. Ugh. 
I know, but it's like that extra push of, I'm gonna say something so obscene because I know the family is here and I just want them to know like how little I care almost, right? Yeah, so in a direct quote from the PBS interview, uh, Faith's mother stated about the experience of, well, seeing Willie in court and having to hear his his story. I never saw any remorse from them being Willie and Vaccaro. I sat there all through the pre pre-trial hearings, the trials, the appeals, and I looked for any remorse or anything whatsoever that they could have been sorry for, um, like some of the crimes that they have committed because they had been on a crime spree. They never, like, she reported that she never saw any remorse. They made me feel like if they got a chance to do it again, that's what they would do. Which, yeah. Disgusting. Yeah. Debbie and Mark were asked to testify against Vaccaro and Willie during face trial. In the Times uh, Picayune article by Jason DeParle, it was documented that Willie was observed to be blowing kisses at Debbie in the courtroom, which that's got to be fucking triggering as all hell. Yeah, like you're already going through this trial, which is already enough to relive the details and that you have to have them. Of your own case yeah. at a trial of someone else who died. Like, yeah. Like you're like, you're sitting there being like, oh my God, I'm so lucky to be alive. But like, yeah. you're helping the, this case for this person that they murdered. That was around the same age. Could have been me. Yeah, was around the same age. Because I think Faith was like 17 when she passed away and Debbie was 16. Like, literally a year older than her. Yeah. Li- like... That would, yeah, I'd be cringing in my skin just watching them kiss. Crawling. Like yeah. Uh, when Mark apparently approached the stand, Willie was observed by uh, observed to be dragging his finger across his throat in a, quote, menacing way. So kind of like, I'm gonna fucking kill you. Mm. You know what I mean? Which... Again, you're surviving all of what they did to you. Yeah. Like, if I was in that courtroom, I was like, like as much as like, it, like I can't even put into words how that feels because like you want to be the defendant to help put it away, but you're like, I have to relive this. I have to watch them yeah. there, like, and go through all of it again. Yeah. So props to Debbie and Mark. Yeah. Like I want to hug them both and like just tell them how fucking resilient they are, mm-hmm. and and face family. Like I'm not gonna also you know, demiss the fact that they probably knew about Debbie and Mark's case or were learning about Debbie and Mark's case as it was happening and being like, oh my God, these two caused so much chaos. Yeah. Like Faith's mother had said, you know, if they got the chance to do it, she felt that they They would probably do it again. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... According to reports, Debbie's testimony really painted the picture for the jury regarding what could have taken place during the murder of Faith based on what she experienced herself. So Debbie explained in a coverage on Murderpedia by Christopher Buchanan that it was Willie who was the lead as Vaccaro was, quote, so brain dead from drugs, he couldn't figure anything out. There's no question in my mind that Willie was in charge. I can see that. He seems to be the more more dominating or... Yeah. And it sucks because we don't really know much about Vaccaro. To know know the more details of, could he be that one? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And I also apologize... Well, I apologize to those who might have known Vaccaro, Vaccaro, and if I'm butchering the last name, but to be honest, I'm I'm not sorry to him for butchering his last name, so... Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. So, William Vaccaro would be found guilty of the rape and murder of Faith Hathaway, along with a guilty verdict for kidnapping. Uh, For the murder and rape of Faith, Vaccaro got life imprisonment with an additional four life sentences. Uh, Vaccaro reportedly missed getting the death penalty because there wasn't a unanimous jury. Willie, on the other hand, was sentenced to death by electrocution. The court proceedings weren't done for these two, though. They'd have to stand for what happened to Debbie and Mark still. 
They also faced and were convicted for federal kidnapping conspiracy charges because they crossed state lines through Mississippi and Alabama um, with Debbie, who was a minor at the time. So Mm. not great. Nope. The two, I believe, received more charges on top of this. Willie and his lawyer did try and appeal the death penalty and stayed the execution. However, it was denied. Some of the arguments on the appeal included four of the jurors who convicted Willie also participated in the trial of Vaccaro. The trial court failed to change the venue of the trial as requested. And ultimately, there were a bunch of different reasons, but they were denied good yeah so even though willie and vaquero were being charged with the same things i think willie received the death sentence in my opinion based on what i read and like my perspective perception of the situation mm-hmm. um because it was so heavily painted that he was leader and that he might have actually been the one that kind of organized and orchestrated everything yes exactly um so regardless Willie went on and pled guilty for another murder, the 1978 murder of Dennis Hemby near Covington. So do you remember when I mentioned the $10,000 worth of weed that Willie had claimed to have stolen? He murdered that guy? Yep. So according to Willie, he and his cousin, Perry Wayne Taylor, had beaten and drowned Dennis before going on to steal $10,000 worth of marijuana from him. Not sure why or what the reason was, but as you can expect, more charges. Lovely. So Taylor apparently would go on to plead guilty to manslaughter and would be sentenced a uh, 21 year sentence while Willie was given, I think like two more life sentences, but really what's two more like it's already life. Yeah. Like he's already on death row. Yeah. So like before we chat about Willie any further and about like, you know, his death, mm-hmm. we need to inter- introduce another key player into the story. Oh yeah. So welcome to the main stage, Sister Helen Prigine. So the next chapter in this whole case is about Sister Helen Prigine, who is a Ro- who is sorry a Roman Catholic sister who was born on April twenty first, nineteen thirty nine, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. She was known as a teacher and one of the sisters of Saint Joseph of Medale uh, from New Orleans. My apologies if I butchered that. She is most famously known to be an advocate against the death penalty. Oh, so we're not going to like her. Well, I don't know. I'm on the fence about her. Mm. Because I'm on the fence about the death penalty. Mm. Hot take. I don't... I'm not for it. I'm just going to share my my thoughts and opinions. Because I knew we were going to have to talk about this. Mm -hmm. But I'm not necessarily for it because I do feel like there is a history of people getting it wrong. Yes, that is very true. They're executed on either innocence or just... Yes. Yeah. But, but when you're like, when you're when it's say? when it's proven definitively that this person did this thing and they're confessing and they're telling you the details of all the gore they did. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. That's then fine. it's like you okay. know, but in, maybe instead of the death penalty, maybe in the future we could just like ship them out to space. You know, just <laughs> see like what happens. Just freeze. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I stand. Like I, I understand. I, yeah, I'm not. I hate the saying "eye for an eye." Mm-hmm. Because I yeah, like just because someone dies, someone else needs to die. Like yeah, truthfully, no. But but also the way that the justice system, in terms of like jails, for example, I don't know if a lot of them are actually helping rehabilitate people either. Yes. Like, so I think it, yeah, like if you're actually being really rehabilitated, or if you're just this is my stay, I'm just gonna get through it. Yeah, I'm gonna be a shitty person again. Yeah. So I think the takeaway from our opinions for our listeners who are wondering is we need to put more supports in jails to actually help people actually want to change their lives. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Hot take. We ended. Anyways, back to the sister. 
So Sister Helen Pergine became a spiritual advisor to Willie, counseling and essentially, you know, just being a spiritual support you know, during his last days on death row. She would go on to write the book, Dead Man Walking, an eyewitness account of the death penalty in the United States after witnessing the execution of Willie and another inmate by the name of Patrick Saunier. Uh, Sister Helen Prejean, in a Sparknotes kind of explanation of things, felt that the death penalty was cruel and that those convicted could be re- rehabilitated as opposed to, you know, sentences death, which like, mm-hmm. this is where I'm like, I, I get where she's coming from because I would also yeah. like that would be such like a new life because sometimes I think people get caught up in the wrong place at the wrong time or you know they're struggling with their mental health and need support you know with proper supports they could better themselves yes. and stop committing crimes but like you know I'm also I'm not here to let's say there's some people that yes like are psychopaths and yeah that's just the way they are. For example, I know he's dead now, but Sam Little. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want him walking the earth anymore. I'm sorry. No. Like, straight mm-hmm. up. Because we know what he did. Yes. He confessed to what he did. He, we, we know, right? Yes. Same with Ted Bundy. Fuck mm-hmm. that dude. Uh, I will comment that I did read some of Sister per- Helen Perjean's book. There's a chapter on the PBS Frontline website uh, that I'm obviously heavily referencing to, as mentioned. Uh, specifically, chapter six was on the website. So this is where Helen meets Elizabeth and Vernon and speaks to them at their home about kind of like what happened to Faith, who Faith was, this, that, and like kind of really getting more of a picture of Faith, mm-hmm. right? you know, before the pardon board hearing for Willie. So she went before, I think they were trying to get his execution stayed, which we both know didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Based on this, I kind of got the sense of like compassion coming from sister Helen Pergine for Faith's family, who obviously were seeking out the death penalty. Mm -hmm. Like they wanted him to be executed. Like they wanted their knife or knife. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is totally fair and understandable because once again, that's a process of grief, right? So, but obviously she still acknowledged her stance, which was obviously against it, which bring us brings us to the the execution day. Okay. So Willie had a lot of things to say leading up to his execution. Mm. Not great things. Yeah, I would think so. Not, you know, giving out recipes, telling people how to organize their home, like nothing that we could take and be like, okay, that's that's important. No takeaways, okay. Yeah, but we're gonna quote some of the things. This just kind of emphasizes the fact that he kind of was as you've called him out numerous times. times. a shitty person. A shitty person. Hey, new shitty person for a shitty person shelf. Yay! Yay! But boo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, yay, but wait. Wait a minute. Yes. So, uh, in one quote from Willie, uh, he said, I don't run from anything. People say I'm an animal, but they wouldn't say it to my face. I wouldn't say I'm an animal, but I'm a cold person. <sighs> Okay. It gets worse. So Willie acknowledged that although some people may have thought he had wasted his life, being in his early to mid-20s when all this kind of went down, he kind of begged to differ. So in a direct quote from the Claren Ledger article, I've wasted it, but I've also enjoyed it. I've lived a good life. Some people might not necessarily agree with that comment. We don't. (laughs) Hot take. I lived a great life. I beg to differ. (laughs) Okay, sir. Uh, Willie then apparently shared that if he wasn't necessarily behind bars, he wouldn't necessarily have any issues occupying his time. And another direct quote from the same article, I would join a terrorist organization. I'd rob banks. The government insures their money, so I'd rob them. 
Yeah, I'd use my spare time to be more shitty and kill more people being a terrorist and go steal money. Great life choices. I just can't. Like, that's your element life. Like, there's, this guy obviously had some form of, like, personality disorder in the sense of he's just saying it's obscure... Like he's saying obscure things to get attention, though. Yeah, like, he's very, very vibrant in that way. Yeah. Like, like me. So he further went to share his admiration for the ideas from Fidel Castro and Hitler. Great role models. Yeah. So specifically on Hitler, his take, Willie had this to allegedly state... In a way, he was supreme, and in a way, he was a nut. He did what he thought was best. He was going to build a superior race. I don't admire him for killing people or being what he was, but I admire his ideas to advance the world. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't admire him for killing people. Um, that's what you did. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's what you did. <laughs> that's the thing. He's like, you know, I think it was <laughs> kind of shitty that he killed so many people, but like, you well, know. I'm getting away from murder, but whatever. <sighs> well, he didn't get away with it. But like, I'm going, like, I'm going oh, away. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm I th- going to die. I thought you said he got away with it. I was like, no. Christy, no. I'm going away. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, willy, 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 willy. We, what, what, Choices. What's going on with the willies in the world? Because y'all There's need, a lot of bad willies. Y'all need some help. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're worried. Worried about the willies of the world. Willie, who once again was being supported and counseled by sister Helen Pergine, also made sure to allegedly comment that he believed in God. Before further stating, I'm no hypocrite. I didn't come to prison to be born again. I figure the sins I've committed, God gave his son gave his son for them. I'm going to do all right. I'm just like poking my eyes out. You know that uh, meme or that gif of... Who is it? Julia Roberts, where like all the math equations yes. are. That's me trying to understand this motherfucker. I'm the little like fuzzy white creature that's like this with the hands. Oh, yeah, like why? Like why? What? Why? That's me. That's, What's going that's on? my meme. <laughs> that's my meme the whole episode. This entire episode is why? 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 <laughs> Seriously, though, why? So, Willie was set to go to the execution chair on December 28th, 1984, four years after the tragic death of Faith and the tragic encounter Debbie and Mark had to face when Willie and Vaccaro walked into their lives. During his final hours, Willie spent time with his mother, four brothers, and sister Helen Prugine. His final meal was fried fish, oysters, uh, and shrimp with some french fries and a salad. In comparison to perhaps always having something to say, during the time he was apparently observed to be quiet leading up to the chair, which is probably for the best. Yeah, because the thing when you do speak, it's terrible. It's it's questionable at best. <laughs> and so, high-class meals, I must say. Yeah, I know. It, when I was reading, I was like, fuck, I would give anything for Louisiana food. Mm-hmm. But you get what you get for your last meal. Exactly. So... Uh, in the viewing room sat Faith's family along with sister Helen Pergine. He was escorted by, to the chair by six guards. He acknowledged Faith's family with the following quote, and this is like the most infamous quote from this whole thing. I would just like to say, Mr. and Mrs. Harvey, that I hope you get some relief from my death. Killing people is wrong. That's why you've put me to death. It makes no difference whether it's citizens, countries, or governments. Killing is wrong. That takes me back a little bit because... That's something that should be said, but weird coming from him. To me, like, I had a hard time with this quote because... Like, it was a rehearsed? That's what I'm wondering. Because, like, all the rest of the things you just say are not nice. And questionable. Yes. And fucking weird and make no sense. I think it was this last hurrah of, like, let me show you I am rehabilitated. I'm gonna die. Yeah. 
Exactly. So it's been documented that at one point after he was strapped into the chair and the typical hood was placed over his head, that he asked Warden Frank Blackburn to remove the hood. Once the hood was removed, he allegedly winked at Sister Helen Pergine before the hood was placed back on his head. Allegedly around this time too, Sister Pergine began praying, stating, forgive those who collaborate, which I don't really know what that means, but she started praying outwardly loudly during this time. Mm, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. So he put the hood on to die. Yeah. But he's like, take it off for a second. And then winked at her. And they're like, fuck you and put it back on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if they just said fuck you, but that's like... My, that's what I'm saying when it went down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So shortly after the coroner would pronounce Willie dead at 1215 at the age of 26 years old. What? I didn't yeah. realize he was that young. Yeah. So the aftermath... As mentioned, Sister Helen Pergine documented her beliefs against the death penalty, along with her encounters with death row inmates in the book, which was eventually adapted into a movie that was released in 1995. Called? Dead Man Walking. Which starred Susan Sarandon, who played Sister Helen Pergine, and Sean Penn, who played the character Matthew Poncelet, a character apparently based off of Willie. I don't think I've seen this. I've never seen this movie before. I've never even heard of this movie before this movie. It is a top, like, the, um... Title sounds familiar, but mm-hmm. no. We'll have see. to wa- we'll have to watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the storyline, as written by Tad Dibburn on IMDb.com, states the following: A convicted murderer on death row and the nun who befriended some through the portrayal of finely drawn characters in their interaction as the days, hours, and minutes tick down to the condemned condemned man's execution. Powerful emotions are unleashed. While Matthew Poncelet and Sister Pergine desperately try to gain a stay of execution from the governor of, or the courts, scenes are enter cut from the brutal crime, gradually revealing the truth about the events that transpired. In addition to her temporal help, the nun also tries to reach out spiritually and assist as a guide to salvation. Mm. It's a lot. Yes. So, as also mentioned earlier, Debbie would go on to release her own book called the called Forgiving the Dead Man Walking. According to the book summary from the HarperCollinsChristian.com website, Debbie explores her faith and questions whether or not someone can essentially forgive, can be forgiven for what they've done. Mm. Faith's family, as far as I know, have not been in the public in terms of their own books or movies by any means. Nor would I want to. Well, and that's that's the thing. So everyone grieves differently. Yes. Like Some, you want to tell your story or you want to Exactly. Not. So after the execution of Willie, the family did share their relief that Willie was no longer a living concern. Mm-hmm. And even though there is a lot of Hollywood notoriety around this case, at the end of the day, it seems to be focused on Willie and Sister Helen Prugine, which... I'm not for. No, because that's, that's not the point. No. To be on the victims and what they went through and to never happen again. Exactly. I can say that I appreciate Debbie for being brave enough to write her side of the story. Like, I think that's that's great. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, but I kind of hope someday someone maybe does the same for Faith. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it kind of felt... Like, even just in the research, it was so focused on, like, Sister Helen Pergine and Willie and, like, a little bit of Debbie... The person that actually died, like the other person that died, because we know Willie died, but other the, than that, he does what happened. Like there was yeah. no focus on her. Yeah, the person that was murdered, there was barely any information on her. No, yeah, which is disgraceful. Yeah. So yeah, that is that is the case. That's a hot take. Yeah, I'm sweating. <laughs> 
a lot. Profusely, no. Profusely. Uh, so shout out to my resources, which there are a lot, so bear with me. I see that. <laughs> yeah, it's like a Stephen King no- novel over here. So um, Enterprise Journal article, Dead Man Revisited by Alan Sayer, uh, July 18th, 2003. The New York Times article, Louisiana Killer is Put to Death, uh, December 29th, 1984. The Crime Door app. An app? An app. Yeah, I love their app. It's really, really good. Um, So the Find a Grave website, Daily Word article, 25 years later, detective tells story of infamous case on July 13th, 2003. Good old Murderpedia, uh, PBS Frontline website, which is from the WGBH Educational Foundation. The Alcatron website, Robert Lee Willie, updated... December 15th, 2020, uh, the appeal docket, which is docket number 84-3219, September 7th, 1984. The Claren Ledger article, Convicted Killer Has No Regrets for Life of Drugs, Rape, and Murder, which was posted on December 27th, 1984. The Gazette, The Killer Who Boasted, I Don't Run From Nothing, December 29th, 1984. The Justia U.S. Law website, State versus Willie. The Times, the Cayune article, which, sorry if I butchered that. Uh, Victims' Parents Watched D- Willie Die by Jason DeParley on December 28th, 1984. The associate producer, Christopher Buchanan, uh, which was the article that I read off Murderpedia called Louisiana, A Murder a w- Movie and a Wink. Gross www.sisterhelen.org, uh, D- okay. dpedia.org, UPI archives, Robert Lee Willie, who mocked death plate, mocked death by placing a dot 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 by Janet Plume on December 20th, 1984, the HarperCollinsChristian.com website, Forgiven the Dead Man Walking by Debbie Morris, Greg Lewis, and finally, shout out to our, our favorites at IMDB website. Uh, Dead Man Walking, which once again, the movie, released in 1995, uh, which the storyline was written by Tad DeBurn. Wow. Holy moly. <laughs> I'm sweating still. So yeah, that is that is a rough fucking case. That was a rough story. Yeah, but I hope it brought a distraction from everybody and just a reminder that, unfortunately, there are some really shitty, or there was, there is, there's always let's always be real. There's, yeah, there's some, there's really shitty people there that have to fucking ruin it for everybody. And you know, hopefully Faith is resting in peace. Hopefully her family is doing okay. Hopefully everyone's slowly getting there. Yeah, trying to get back to living their life a little bit in whatever capacity they can. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Christy, can you tell these fine weird people who are listening to us where they can find us, how they can reach us, how they can support the show if they want to support the show? Yes, hello weird friends. Please find <laughs> us on Anchor, Spotify, um, Apple. We would love a review. Five, 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 stars. five stars would be stellar. Any platform you listen to us on, you'll find us somewhere. Um, somewhere. Feel free to reach out. Email weirddistractionpodcast at outlook.com. Give us some listener stories. Oh, yes. And we'll be coming. We already have some. Yes. Very exciting. Yes. Um, also, if you have, again, more of the details about that one thing in the story. Um, <laughs> Christy doesn't even remember. She's like, <laughs> there it's was so such, much stuff going on. It's such a blur. It's such a blur. Um, feel free to tweet at us on Twitter and on Insta page. Go over to our Patreon. Again, shout out to Tom. Yes. Our lovely follower only. Um, <laughs> we are on there. We have distractions. Have the tears. Extra stories. Good stuff. You should sign up. Yeah. Um, if you can't or not monetize something little on buy me a coffee as well. Yep. 
And also on Redbubble for some merch. Yes. So the one over there, find all the goodies. Stickers, hoodies, tank tops, clocks, mats, you name it. Whatever, we will put a, a label on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and just so as a reminder, kind of backtrack a little bit. So our listener tales, we are hoping to do six, read six stories mm-hmm. um, from you, the listener. So far, yeah. So far, yeah. Uh, each episode, we don't, we're not really sure how often we're going to be releasing them because it really depends on if you email us at yeah, weird, in, yeah. yeah, at weird distractions podcast at outlook.com. Um, we want to hear your weird tales, whether it was something paranormal, maybe a conspiracy theory that you heard, um, or maybe an encounter with a folklore creature. Have you seen a puka lately? Like, we want to know. We want to know. Some personal stories you encountered some serial killers. And survived. And survived it. Yeah. Yes. That, that'd be cool. That'd, that'd be cool. cool. Yeah. We got a couple, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be interesting. Uh, but yes, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting. And if you need a distraction... We got you. Bye. bye. Hi, I'm Robin Warder from The Trail Went Cold. If you are unfamiliar with my other podcast, I often cover stories from the television show Unsolved Mysteries. For the past five years, you've heard me talk about these cases on my own, but now's your chance to hear me have in-depth discussions about them with other people. I want to welcome you to my new project, The Path Went Chilly, where I will be discussing in-depth with my two good friends and co-hosts cases that I've covered on The Trail Went Cold. Meet my co-hosts. First one up is Jules. Hi, I'm Jules from the podcast Riddle Me That True Crime, and I have a PhD in transpersonal counseling. I'm not a psychologist or a diagnostician, so don't get too excited. But I can't wait to analyze these cases with these two amazing humans. You've already met Robin. Now meet Dr. Ashley Wellman. Hi, I'm Ashley. I have a PhD in criminology, law and society, and I specialize in trauma victims and survivors. I've spent a great deal of time working with families left behind after homicides with a cold case unit based out of Florida. And I'm also a professor of criminology. I'm so excited to be chatting with two of my best friends about the cases that everyone can't seem to get enough of. We hope in doing so that we will have a clearer perspective of what may have transpired. Oftentimes, Ashley will be totally in the dark. Jules and I will be telling Ashley a story she may not know much about, so all of her reactions are genuine. We will be releasing on all major platforms April 8th. We hope you will join us as we attempt to heat up some ice-cold cases. The Pathwind Chili will be available every Thursday on all major podcast platforms.